Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Healthcare in America is in a state of chaos. The opioid crisis is out of control. California is leading the nation with the most sexually transmitted diseases. And just last week, Elizabeth Warren proposed her Medicare for All, a government-run health insurance program where she plans to increase taxes on businesses and wealthy Americans. So what's the solution? Or should I say, who's the solution? Nurses. Nurses are the solution. Nurse leaders are the solution. We're at the front lines of patient care. We know what's up. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about new frontiers in nursing leadership. I'm joined by my co-host, Sarah Gray. She's a founding clinician at the San Francisco healthcare startup, Trusted Health. And our special guest, Dr. Dan Weberg. He's an expert in nursing, healthcare innovation, and human-centered patient design with extensive clinical experience in emergency departments, acute inpatient hospital settings, and academia. He currently serves as the head of clinical innovation for Trusted Health, the staffing platform for the healthcare industry, where he helps drive product strategy and works to change the conversation around innovation in the healthcare workforce. This episode is brought to you by Trusted Health. And now, a word from our sponsor. Trusted Health, a company built by nurses for nurses to understand what opportunities exist and connect to them in the most efficient and transparent way possible. They've replaced the traditional job search and staffing approach with an intelligent matching platform, empowering nurses to discover opportunities that fit their unique experiences, preferences, and goals. Instead of a commission-based recruiter, they use nurse advocates, nurses just like you and some who have even traveled, who work commission-free. Because they're all commission-free, their goal isn't to get nurses into any open jobs, Instead, they focus on connecting each of their nurses to travel assignments they want and supporting them every step of the way, before, during, and after their assignment. Just in case you're wondering, they'll come right out and say it. No, they won't hound you with phone calls and emails about jobs that you're not interested in, just the information you want, when you want it. Interested? Check out Trusted Health at www.trustedhealth.com. Fill out some basic information about your preferences and qualifications, and you can get started viewing job matches personalized for you in minutes. Join Trusted. They're not just an agency, they're a movement. And welcome back to Nurses and Hypochondriacs. I have on the show with me today my co-host from Trusted Health, Sarah Gray, and also our guest, Dan Weberg. Hi, welcome. Glad to be on. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys for being on. So Sarah, let's start with you since you're the co-host for this episode and for the next three episodes. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, uh, again, thank you for having us. Um, My name is Sarah. I am a pediatric nurse and the founding clinician here at Trusted Health. Started my nursing career out here in San Francisco at UCSF, um, where I quickly became a charge nurse, um, a clinical nurse three, and got got involved in research, uh, specifically was an evidence-based practice fellow, and worked there for um, almost exactly four years before making the decision to leave the bedside to join a healthcare startup um, here in San Francisco, where we have built a marketplace and a platform that connects nurses to opportunities and fundamentally change the way nurses work and manage their careers. Awesome. Well, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on for the next few episodes. So it should be a lot of fun. And Dan... 
tell us about yourself. Yeah, so at the core, I'm an ER and trauma nurse forever. And um, I started out as a new grad in the ER and, and worked clinically for about 10 years. Um, I've held multiple roles, both in academia and large health systems, from um, health system nursing education director to uh, most recently a nursing uh, director of nursing innovation at Kaiser Permanente, um, where I got to work with all kinds of cool technology. And uh, most recently joined uh, Trusted Health and am the head of clinical innovation here uh, to disrupt the nursing workforce and build a better solution to advance our profession. So tell us about Trusted Health. Now, I, in my background, I was a registry nurse for many years, for about 10 years plus. I still do locums now as a pediatric nurse practitioner, and I love it. I am actually very uh, lucky to have a, another residence in another city where I do work and I get to pick up that locums. But tell us what Trusted Health is all about and how different they are from back in the day when I worked for a nursing registry and yeah. nursing travel company? That's a great question. So at Trusted, we, um, we leverage technology to create transparency and efficiency for nurses to connect to those opportunities. And so um, we, via the technology, nurses can understand what opportunities exist and easily be able to access that information on their own time without having to rely on you know, another human being to get them the information they want to make an informed decision. And uh, from there, we have created a pretty seamless process and experience. We have a team of nurse advocates who are all clinical nurses who have left the bedside uh, because of their passion to fundamentally uh, change the way we nurses work and help nurses do that. So their role is to really help shape the experience. And from there, we utilize technology throughout that entire process to make it as seamless as, as possible. Um, all of our nurses, all which we call trusted nurses, are W-2 employees. So um, we not only connect them to the opportunities, but we employ them and support them with um, you know, payroll benefits, insurance um, that, that nurses need to manage their careers. That's great. I'm so excited to be working with you guys. And Dan, you jumped in from a leadership role in a hospital-based practice, correct? And now you're doing startup. Have you ever done that before? Um, I've always had my hand in some sort of like three different roles at any given time. Um, I've never been full-time at a startup, but uh, for the past seven years, I've been advising the venture capital um, firm in my last organization on different companies that had came through that linked to nursing or clinical care. And Trusted was actually one of those. Um, as they were seeking their Series A um, venture capital, they talked to uh, that VC firm and I met them there. And um, I've always had an interest and I think it fits with my ER background. Like it's very, um, there's a lot of uh, adrenaline with it. There's a lot of um, wearing different hats at different times. And so I think from a personality standpoint, it's probably a better fit than working in a large, massive organization that um, is like kind of, takes a long time to turn and, and get things done. Uh, but I learned a lot there and I'm, I'm hoping to bring that experience to, um, to the startup world. Well, I think you could be more creative in the startup world. You know, it seems like you can, cause your bio is pretty fascinating and you can bring all these tools that you've learned and just create something at this company, which I think is amazing and which is going into the future. This is what we're seeing. And our topic today is nursing leadership and management and where it's going, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest um, piece to this is uh, the Trusted has done a great job of um, creating the persona of the frontline working nurse and they've built an amazing platform to that persona. And now I think as the company evolves, it, it's gonna be good to have the persona of the nurse leader as well because if you combine those two together, you have a solution that actually meets the needs of hospitals and health systems. And so hopefully I can bring that, uh, that persona to life here with Sarah. Right. And nurses are leaders. I mean, it, it, I, people just always see what we see in the media is we're just this bedpan person and we take the orders from people and then we just kind of are minions. And that's so, so, so not true. I mean, there's so much more to the nursing profession. And when I worked personally for a nursing registry, for a nursing travel company, and now in a locums, I feel like I'm my own boss. You know, I feel that I have higher standards that I have to upheld because it's me. And if I want to be called back, 
you know, if I want to keep working, I have to show like good integrity. I have to show my good work ethic and everything that goes around with it. Yeah, Dan and I talk about this often um, and how we, we as a profession need to challenge our own assumptions of what it means to be a nurse and what it means to be a nurse leader. And that it, it especially as technology and automation continue to, um, you know, propel healthcare forward, maybe at a slow pace, but the, the skill-based or task-based education is going to have to change because the real, where, where the real value um, of, of a nurse is, is in the clinical decision-making, uh, the clinical judgment, the, um, you know, the, the unique combination of the soft and hard skills that are really, really required to um, provide high quality and safe care. Yeah. I mean, as fundamentally leadership is really just influencing others and nurses do that day to day. So at the fundamental level of the definition of leadership, nurses, every nurse is a leader because we do it minute by minute with our patients and either creating plans of care or influencing family on decision-making or, or whatever it is. Um, but I think the profession as a whole has only labeled nurses as leaders if they held a management position. I agree. Right? Manager, leader, director, CNE. And, um, and I think that's kind of pigeonholed us because there, because healthcare is kind of being disrupted and that used to be the path you would go as a nurse, you'd just go up the ladder and not everyone wants to do that anymore. And so we have nurses that are leading startups. We have nurses that are researchers. We have nurses that are in education, leading amazing change interprofessionally. Like those nurse leaders don't get enough credit. And I think we're starting to see the sea change with, um, you know, the American Organization of Nurse Executives just changed their name to AONL to include all leaders. Um, and, and I've even pushed them uh, to say, you need to get non-traditional roles in there as well at, on your board to know where nurses are influencing the healthcare coordination. Um, and I think we just haven't been good at that as a profession yet. I totally agree with you on that. I mean, when I worked in hospital-based organizations, I try to get on boards. And if I wasn't a manager, I was told straight up, hey, you're nobody. Hey, you only work per diem. Hey, what you say doesn't matter. And I had to kind of fight for that. I was like, yeah, but I have a different perspective than you people that have been working here for 20 years, you know, because if you're working in one organization, and I have never understood that, I get it, the longevity, I get it, your, your benefits and all that. And that's something of the past. It doesn't even happen in organizations anymore. But what people weren't seeing is my experience that I was bringing to a different organization. And I think people's eyes are more open to that now with everything that's been going on in our world. No, you, you bring up such an amazing point. And so like, you know, I'm only on week four here with Trusted and loving every day of it. And I'm, I'm learning the business. And, and like Sarah said, we have these nurse advocates. So I was interested in what, what does that role look like? So I took their job description. I mapped it to the, um, the certification for a nurse manager that AONL has. And 95% of the work nurse managers do is exactly the competency of, uh, nurse advocates do is exactly the competencies that uh, would get you a certified nurse manager. And so, but we, you know, we wouldn't call them nurse leaders necessarily because they're not in formal leader roles, but the work is the work is the same. So we need to just break down those barriers because um, the, the future of work is flexible. Like you said, it's, it's people owning their practice. And, and my dream for nursing is that nurses own their own practice and aren't, you know, subservient to these hospital systems all the time and, and following those policies, but we have a higher level of practice. Um, and, and in order to do that, we have to break down some of those silos. Totally agree. Yeah, I'm curious, Dan, in, in your experience and talking about leadership, how this information is received by those that you that you talk to and the awareness that you're creating um yeah how what the perspective is yeah i mean so like this year has been a weird year for me i i've flown to 15 different i think speaking engagements across the country and um for the most part uh it's been a mix of nursing education leaders and nursing leaders and different conferences and things and and i think there's just a lack of awareness of the disruption that's happening to healthcare. I think people kind of get it, but they don't <laughs> yeah. know that it's 
really happening. I mean, I was up on stage at the beginning of the year talking about Amazon and Walmart and all this stuff like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, six months later, I'm talking about the same thing. I'm like, and they launched yesterday, you know, like literally the day after. <laughs> yeah. And Kaiser now has little clinics in Target where you can go and get like a pap smear and buy your cat food. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is what's happening. It freaks me out because I've been studying it and I shared with Sarah and um, I got this consulting gig and um, it opened up a whole new world of tech for me. And I started doing lots of research and I started attending symposiums and really learning about the tech industry. And it freaks me out. And I'm like, am I the only one who's afraid? I'm like, wake up. Nobody's, nobody, I, I don't think anybody's woken up to what's going on yet. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting is I'll go talk to some big health system leaders and they'll say, well, you know, we are not seeing it. We're not seeing our market share change. We're not seeing, and I'm, I'm kind of like, are you, are you fat and happy? You know, in this little, like, you know, the old, the old world as the new world kind of builds itself. I'm like, where was taxi companies when before Uber and where was media before Facebook? And like, are we, is the industry and our profession even as a whole, like kind of on that verge of being completely disruptive because we're just yes. not connected to it. Yes, and, and it's very true because people think that people that work in the tech industry know everything. That's not exactly true. All they are are good researchers, yeah. you know, just like healthcare journalists. Healthcare journalists know nothing about healthcare because they don't have that background. Uh, they just know how to write and research. And so that's what people are not seeing. I mean, it's, I'm almost scared it's going to be a whole Elizabeth Holmes type situation going on uh, where people just invested tons of money, believe this one person, and there was no merit beneath anything. Yeah, I think um, there's a few companies that have actually engaged nursing specifically in leadership roles. So like Amazon has a nurse that is pretty high up in the company that's driving a lot of their clinical decision-making and entry. Um, Microsoft has a chief nurse. Uh, so there's a few companies that have actually logged, logged, launched, logged into nursing as kind of the thought leadership, but there's other really, really big ones um, that have not, and they go right for the physician, you know, viewpoint, which is great. I mean, that, that's part of the system, but uh, um, like I, I remember I had a large company that's named after a fruit talk to me when I started at, uh, at, at my last organization, and they wanted me to explain all of nursing in 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, yeah. you know, like it's more complex than that. They're like, well, we want to build a, a thing for a billion people. I'm like, well, there's only 4.5 million nurses. Like we're, we're having a disconnect here. And he's like, well, we'll just get back to this. And it just, they had no idea what nurses even do. Um, and for the most part, when I've talked to different startups, um, kind of wanting to enter healthcare that don't have a clinician founder, they don't have any idea what nurses do and they always just want that physician role because they see that as knowing everything about healthcare. And as we know, nurses are more embedded in the chaos and complexity of healthcare um, and can add a whole lot of value um, even with physician partners. Right, and they're connected with their patients, you know, because they're the ones who are at the bedside. They're the ones giving care. Uh, we work under a different philosophy than physicians do uh, where it's mind, body, spirit, uh, as as opposed to the medical model so yeah and one of my last roles um and actually i'm still working on it is i helped i was the only nurse involved in building the kaiser permanente school of medicine and so i got to write all the oh, yeah tell us about that yeah, it's fascinating it's really cool. so you know i have no idea what medical education entailed until i had to literally every day sit in curriculum meetings writing it from the ground up um, and it's just fascinating. And the things that they're now incorporating into medical school have been a core of nursing for a long time, and they recognize that. And so they're bringing that biopsychosocial model together instead of awesome. that model. Yeah. They're focused on health system science and the coordination of multiple resources rather than the physician as like the head of everything. And so that curriculum is built around that culture, which is awesome. And it was amazing to be in this collegial relationship with all of these um, really smart people to do that. And, um, and even there, like that's a nurse leadership role. Like I, I'm in right. medical education and they're, they want it. And it's, and you would never think that's a place for a nurse if you just follow the tradition. Yeah. It feels like in that situation, they really flipped that paradigm of, of just um, thinking, okay, you know, this is what we need to build. Let's get a physician in here to consult. Mm -hmm. um, and they had a nurse. Do you think that that, that, was that deliberate? Was that? 
Yeah, I mean, even from the foundation of it, they had a nurse, um, Marilyn Chow, on the board uh, or on the planning committee. And as she retired, they made sure they replaced it with another nurse. And so, and, and I've become an integral part of that team. It, it was just amazing to see. I, I was kind of scared at the, at the beginning of it to go into a room with a bunch of physicians and like try and talk about this stuff, but they've been so welcoming. So yeah, it, it's, it, it, was, it, was, it was very deliberate. And um, and, and just a, a great learning process for me. Yeah. Were there any plans for co-education? You know, I, I've, I thought a lot as a clinical nurse about how um, everything we do is for the same purpose, um, but the way we're educated and trained is inside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of the thing I was in charge of mainly was in the interprofessional curriculum. So I went out and I vetted the different partners we would have to because we weren't going to build more schools. We were going to partner. So uh, we partnered with uh, a local pharma a top 10 pharmacy school in the LA area. And then we partnered with a nursing school. And, um, and then I facilitated those meetings where the, the three different schools co-built the interprofessional curriculum. And what we wanted to do with it, which is, I think, super interesting, is the kind of the default for interprofessional education is to do clinical experiences together. Like, let's go run a code together. And that's how we'll learn how to work together. But we wanted to tackle the hard conversation. So we were like, let's go right after roles and responsibilities and scope of practice overlap. And like, that's what we'll start with on day one of medical school. And then we'll go into what makes teams fail. And let's talk about that. And then let's go over here and we'll talk about what the history of these professions are and what our assumptions are about what those professions do before their professional identity is formed and deal with that stuff instead of throwing them into a clinical scenario. And all the schools were super interested in that. And, um, and that's how the curriculum is starting to roll out for that part of it. I love that because we are now in a team scenario. I mean, we're in a team environment. There's no more like, oh, here's the doctor. Wait, wait, we have to wait until we hear what he has to say, you know, yeah. and then we're just all going to do. That doesn't exist, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it, it is a team. And when a patient goes into a hospital, they see multiple people. They don't just see a physician. Yeah. You know, even when you go to clinic, you don't see just the physician. You see multiple people. You know, one thing I, I would love, Sarah, is, uh, and your uh, kind of viewpoint on this, one of the slides I put up in the talk I give uh, is around what the interprofessional team of the future looks like. And I don't have any clinical roles in there. I mean, I say that's table stakes. We got to work well with the people that provide care. Like, that's fine. But the new interprofessional team are the computer science and um, IT folks. It's the end users with the patients. It's the operational leadership. And then it's the informatics people. Like that has to be on every major project team moving forward and even care team or because that's the way healthcare is being delivered now. And Sarah, you've been in, you've been at Trusted for two years now working with those people. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to see like how you see that interprofessional leadership maybe. Yeah, I, I see parallels all the time uh, moving from clinical to working for startup. And something that was probably the most profound to me was I, I have an entirely new interdisciplinary team now. So rather than it being uh, physicians and therapists and case managers and social workers, it's, it's in engineers and developers and designers and uh, product managers and marketing. And you just see how seamlessly those teams can work together cross-functionally to, to get you know, sometimes like just one thing done. And I think some of what's most frustrating for nurses is just that, you know, we have these, we have these ideas or we have roadblocks or we, we see opportunities for innovation and we don't know what to do with it or we can't build it or, you know, we need a team of people who can help us, um, you know, not just design products, tools and solutions, but also design care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or what I've heard too is that, oh, I'm just the nurse or the nurse practitioner and it's the physician or it's this person that is supposed to design that or it's that tech guy that knows nothing about healthcare that is going to make the app or the computer system that shuts down at me at 4 p.m. when I'm charting on my last patient and it's like I get these big X's that say game over, you know, and I'm just like, I, I have like two or three more patients to chart in then there's Los Angeles traffic. So thank you very much. Whoever developed that system. So uh, yeah. I mean, what but, you do is the, is the siloing still like it, it, it's like, let's go play with those people, but let's keep them in their lane. And the future of leadership and the future of these health systems is the complex network of people not working only in silos. Like you'll have your core competencies. You need to do that. Well, 
but you have to be able to boundary span across those silos or, or you're going to be completely irrelevant in the future that's completely connected through technology and, and different things. I completely agree. Awesome. Yeah. And I think what that really comes down to, too, is understanding, um, understanding those different roles and and um, like the real cross functionality. So something I think we've done really, really well here at Trusted is uh, like moving from clinical care to working for a tech company, you, you have to learn a whole new language, but the engineers had to learn a whole new language in speaking, speaking clinical healthcare, jargon, understanding exactly. all the nuances of nursing and healthcare. And so it's not just um, it's not just working together, but it's working side by side and speaking the same language and understanding what the other does and how they function to actually successfully work together. But that's great that they can do that with you. Uh, like I was saying before the podcast, I went to a health tech symposium and it was put on by the Los Angeles uh, work department. I, I forget exactly. LAEDC. So Los Angeles education work department, something like that. I forget. Anyway, uh, so they had a panel of four or five guests and they had various different roles in tech. Uh, a lot of them were startups. Um, there was a wearable technology. There was another bigger technology from Switzerland that detects cancer cells, kind of like a, they ran like a pharmaceutical association or organization. Anyway, uh, my point was I, I was listening and none of these people had any healthcare background. None. They were all innovators of some kind. One was just a speaker. And I rose my hand at the end and I said, do any of you consult with any healthcare professionals or nurses? And so the woman that was speaking for this technology, it was called Sophia. She said that, yes, they do hire uh, nurses to talk about their technology and, and they are, um, we had them in pharma and I forget their role now. It's, escaping me but it is you know I, I did tell her yes those are master prepared nurses and uh, doctoral prepared nurses that have those positions because they are actually the expert of how everything works and and they are the ones who are called into a physician's office to explain how that technology or how that drug works and yeah, and, and so she didn't even know that they had that background. She's like, yeah, we have nurses, but they are masters and doctoral prepared, So, uh, which is what people don't say. One of my friends made fun of me because I told her I went and I spoke and everybody kind of was silent and I had some people come up to me and say, yeah, that was a good thing you did, you know, which that's always my job when I go to these things. And she said, did you take your white hat with you so that they knew who you were? <laughs> so I just started laughing. I go, next time, that's genius. I'm going to do it, you know? So, uh, Wait, but do you still have one? I do. I actually have, I bought one as a prop that I would use for my storytelling shows. So I do have one. Um, so yeah. But uh, going into leading by innovation, I know we touched up a little bit about it. This has been uh, sort of your expertise and that's where Trusted Health is going. So would you like to talk more about that, Dan? Yeah, I mean, so, so we just published a, uh, our second edition of our textbook. It's called Leadership for Evidence-Based Innovation. And we wrote it uh, because uh, we couldn't find any textbooks that taught leaders how to lead change in healthcare well. And so we would always compile these books together. And I, I teach online for the Masters in Healthcare Innovation program at Ohio State University. Um, and so we, we couldn't find a textbook that could actually like help us build a program around it. So we wrote, wrote one. And um, the, the basic premise of it is, and, and this is true for health systems across the board and leaders, um, there's two competencies that make up a high performing organization. One is the ability to have strong performance improvement, which means you improve the known and make it as efficient as possible. And the other competency is that to build the build and solve problems that are unknown or really complex, which is innovation. And so if you just have performance improvement, you'll get really, really good at, at improving what you already know. And one example I give is like hand washing. So like we performance improved hand washing to death and we're still at an average of like 66% across the nation. That needs innovation. And then if you just do innovation, you have all these crazy ideas and they're coming into your organization over and over and over, but they're really inefficient. So you're not an efficient organization. You actually get bogged down in chaos. 
But if you have both, you bring in new ideas and you have, so that's your innovation group. And then you have performance improvement, refine it so it's optimized. And then it refines it to a place where it can no longer be more efficient in its current state. So you have to innovate it and you go off and you find more ideas and you bring them back. And so you have this cycle that continually moves forward and is advancing the organization forward. And so that's kind of the foundation of what we talk about in the book. And we have a bunch of chapters about different things like that. Um, but, but that fundamentally is what leaders of health systems and leaders that are going to lead us into the future need to understand. Now, they don't have to be experts in performance improvement or innovation. They have to know when to apply those skill sets to the problems that they're facing. And so I think that's the core competency of a, of a future leader. And, um, and there's different personas and behaviors and things behind that, but that, that's kind of the foundation. Awesome. Do you Good. see that this, this kind of, right? Like this is education. Do you mm -hmm. see this as being part of curriculums for, um, you know, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier in a non-traditional way, right? So when we talk about every nurse has the potential to be a leader, can and should um, understand what it means to lead, is this, do you think this is something that should be addressed like in a standard nursing curriculum? Yes, everyone should go do a master's in healthcare innovation. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, we're going to have Rebecca Love on and she'll have her platform on it, but she was on a and j TED Talk talking about that, how everybody needs to have, and I totally agree, everybody needs to learn how to write. Everybody needs to learn how to innovate because what's going to happen when you're burnt out schools don't teach you what what do i do now i'm not at the bedside anymore so what what else are my options and i see that on facebook sites all the time chat sites what else can i do out of the box yeah. and schools don't teach you that and it's very it, it, and we're changing so so fast i mean there's telemedicine there's all these things and i don't think that uh schools can keep up with the pace when i used to teach back in 2000 2007 2008 uh a, a little more than 10 years ago schools were outdated then i was like oh my god what's going on here this is so old school why are we teaching this stuff you yeah. know so no, that, that's a great point. I think, you know, education is a big piece of it. And right now, education is incented at the undergrad level for nursing at, at, for board pass rates, which don't have a, I mean, they'll tell you there's a lot of leadership in there, but it's not really leadership. The master's programs, people will go into master's of nursing, which have some leadership management in there, but it's really operational. Um, and that doesn't float everyone's boat. And then on the MBA side, we're seeing declines in MBA enrollments because those skills are not, that's almost entry level skill set in many cases now. And you can learn a lot of that on the job. Well, I think what the core is that's missing from leadership education, whether it's development, you know, you're already a leader and you're developing yourself in a non-degree program, or you're going back to a degree program and get, learning leadership, is we don't teach enough about change. We teach a lot about organizations and we teach a lot about writing and communicating and EBP, which are all great, but we don't teach enough about how change happens and all the amazing research that other industries have done on how change occurs in populations. And so in healthcare, we just throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks. Or we have an eight-hour session with a lot of post-it notes that lead to thought voting, which then leads to the three ideas that get taken, you know, someone takes their iPhone out and takes a picture and then it goes in some archive for <laughs> never seen again that's not innovation that's not change so we need to start like the 4,000 studies on the diffusion of innovation should be a foundational piece of all curriculum because it literally tells you the the playbook to adopt and create change in a population and we just skip over that like it's not important that we'd rather go back you know to theorists that are kind of some of them irrelevant at this point and so i agree that's a great point that you bring up with these theories that are irrelevant when i was teaching they were teaching these theorists and students hated them and i go do you know why you hate them because they make no sense and we don't need them in our world but because nobody wants to come up with new theories or have balls enough to actually come up with their own nursing program that is unique and innovative and pushing forward they're just going to stick with the same old same old because that's what the, these people have done. They don't care. They're lazy and they just do the same thing over and over again, yeah. which creates insanity. No, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right? Doing the same over and over. You know, I, I've, I've been to a fair number of nursing schools this, this year and they want to do something to change it. They just don't know 
the science around change and how to incorporate but it. They always say that, Dan. I've worked at four schools. Every school I've gone to, the reason why I got hired, oh, we really like you. You're so young. You're so creative. You have all these great ideas. As soon as I get in there, they don't, nobody wants to hear anything here. Just do it. Don't, and anytime you try to rock the boat, because that's me, and then now I'm going to take my little hat along with me with my little idea that my friend gave me, um, nobody likes that, you yeah. know. Uh, in, in, but you, you hear what's going on on the East coast. I always think California is weird and maybe you can talk to this Dan cause you've probably worked in different States. Mm -hmm. California I've always find is very conservative compared to East coast. It seems like there's so many changes going on in East coast and I hear all these amazing schools, but here we are in California and I know people who have left California to go to East coast schools and other schools that are more progressive in nursing to get their doctorates because they want to actually create and do stuff instead of just, you know, hashing out the same old, same old. Yeah. There's a handful of schools in California that I think are doing cool stuff, but yeah, I mean, there is definitely some disruption on the on the East Coast. Like Jefferson University embedded ambulatory care into their undergrad curriculum, which is awesome. I mean, we're seeing more growth in jobs in ambulatory care than we are. Oh, in yeah, hospitals. Target. So, right. So yeah, right. Target. So, <laughs> you know, that's not taught in undergrad curriculum. Like it, it, that needs to be a disruption. But you know, I learned this with the med school. It's like the incentives in the system are the problem, and as leaders, we need to change those incentives. So if board pass rates are your incentive to be a quality program we're incenting the wrong thing because that's the minimum right. level of nursing. Um, we need to create different incentives and measure quality nursing and, and quality leadership differently. Uh, so the programs can teach to a different measurement than what they're currently held to. Yeah. Speaking of East coast schools, um, I, I went, I did my undergrad nursing at Penn and just last week. Penn I, is a, I hear so many great things about Penn. Yeah. All and the they, time. Um, it was nearly 10 years ago, which um, I, I credit my, my career trajectory partially to this. I took a class. It was called Quality Care Challenges in an Evolving Healthcare Market. And it was all about process improvement um, and, and like implementing, implementing and implementing change and change management. This was almost, um, this was almost 10 years ago. They recently launched a, um, I was just, I just did some data testing for their site that I think is set to launch later this month. That's all around uh, nursing innovation and exposing nurses undergrad to innovation, what that means. And um, they've built out some pretty incredible case studies, material and resources for nurses to access to be able to, um, you know, I, I think the first step is really exposure and education there, but they're, they're, they've launched a whole campaign around um, innovation in nursing, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, Arizona State did the same thing. So they took, we, we, I went through the master's in innovation program there, and then they took those core courses and embedded them to every degree level. So even undergraduate nursing students get some sort of innovation content. The core courses are embedded in their master's, and then the DMP, there's three or four DMP courses that are specific to leading innovation um, awesome. and leading change. And, because that's what DM, the DMP role is supposed to do is translation of evidence into practice. And so, um, yeah, it, 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 some schools are doing it and yeah. um, we've got to promote those. Yeah. I'm curious because I, I've been a strong advocate for that course, which is still taught ever since. Um, I think at the time I didn't realize the impact it would have mm -hmm. on, on me as a nurse and how unique that opportunity was. But um, I think just some things I've heard and some pushback is around how like, how nursing, the nursing curriculum is already so jam-packed with everything that is required um, in terms of basics, like the theory and then the, the clinical application of it, that um, they've, there's, they have a difficult time justifying uh, requiring certain courses or adding more to the core curriculum. So I'm curious, uh, Dan, what you've seen there. I mean, if you look at the competencies for an, a certified nurse executive, which I mean, you can take it or leave it, whatever you want, but that's basically the standard right now for a, 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 both a system chief nurse and, a, and an exec, nurse, nurse executive and manager roles. Half of them have to deal with managing in a complex system, dealing with adaptive change, leading innovation, knowing technology, and um, you could, you could, the core of the innovation and change kind of research that would, that would create that curriculum is all geared towards that stuff. So it is, it is a competency that we're expecting and we're trying to teach it in this kind of 
old hierarchical management style, which, um, which you need to understand because that's where the formal leaders live. But the influence of change doesn't happen there. The influence of change happens in the network in, around and between and throughout the organization. And you have to be able to lead in both of those scenarios. And we just don't do enough of how do you influence networks and populations of people, groups of people. We spend more time figuring out how do you convince the CFO with your budget and your business. <laughs> yeah. How do you make the informal opinion leader actually empowered to build a, a momentum of change within the people they influence? So anyway, I could talk, I could <laughs> soapbox that all day, but. <laughs> I totally agree. So I want to take a little bit of a, a curve here and talk about the hot topic of toxic leadership. Like I told you before, I've seen it all over LinkedIn. I've posted a ton of it. But on yeah, LinkedIn. it's probably, <laughs> it's probably me. Um, no, so, so it, it's a huge issue. I think what's interesting is it's just coming to light. Like nurses have been burning out for a long time and so have physicians, but it's just starting to come into the media, it seems like, as a big issue. And, um, and so my, my soapbox on this is really simple. There's evidence out there that um, bad leadership leads to burnout. We know that. But it also leads to poor patient outcomes. And so why aren't we treating poor toxic leadership the same way that we're treating Cowdies, Clapsies, um, you know, Hapus, all these hospital-acquired quality issues? Like, we need to treat bad leadership in the same rigor and focus as that because it literally is killing our profession and it's killing our organization. So, um, I mean, if you want to be wowed by numbers, like 78% of people that go into that are, that experience a toxic leader are now not committed to that organization. They 48% decrease their work effort, 63% avoid that person and lose time at work, and 12% quit. Like, those are staggering numbers in a 4.5 million population of nurses. Like, we can't just sit back and be like, oh, well, that's just the way they are. Like, they just lead that way. They're really direct, but, you know, they have a good heart. Like, no, it's toxic, and we need to kill it, and it just it can't be accepted anymore. I totally agree with you because my whole entire career, that's what I've always heard. And that's what I always hated when I worked in a hospital because I felt these people were never accountable for what they were doing. They were just spewing narcissistic venom all over the place and you just had to take it. Why? Because they worked there for 20 years. There's nothing you could do. Uh, there was no special training. Yeah, they would go to special training all the time, but they would come back and be the same people. And again, they were people who just worked in one place and they never had experience on the outside. And they really wouldn't do more than they should have unless it was bringing them notoriety. Like, oh, I'm going to go and um, talk at this conference because it's going to make me, you know, it, it was like Instagram back in the day when there was no Instagram because they wanted to be the popular one all the time. And while everybody else was just a minion and it was hard for you to get up to that food chain to be where that person was, they wouldn't let you get there. And I was always the one, of course, the disruptor saying, well, why is that person always going to that conference? Why does that person get to always talk about this? Well, why are they the experts? I mean, we're all the same people, you know, we're all working in the same departments and stuff. I mean, I even, in one organization that I worked for, I remember I kept trying to go for these different positions, different leadership roles, and I would never get it. And I just thought it was, I was just like, okay. But it was always that one person at the top. It was always her. And, and so I didn't know it was only me having that experience. It wasn't only me. It was many people that I later, after this person got fired, because she, they showed that she was showing nepotism to many people. I mean, she was hiring people outside of the organization. I'm like, hey, I've been here five or six years. You just hired someone outside that has way less experience than I do. So what qualifies her uh, as compared to me? You know, it was because she was whatever she was doing, you know, it, it was her friend or her whatever. And so later they ended up firing her. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that explains a lot. It wasn't, I mean, I'm sure it was a little bit of me, you know, but it, it's also this person, this gatekeeper that it, she was impossible to get through. Yeah. Impossible. You wrote, Unless you were her best buddy or you gave her like a million dollars under the table. Yeah, right. And um, you didn't do that. You didn't. <laughs> ah. 
you know, I might as well start up my own startup. Yeah. I mean, we, so we wrote a chapter in our book about this, specifically on toxic leadership. Courtney Caulfield, who works, who's an executive director at Cedar sinai and I co-wrote the chapter. And um, we go through, from the lens of a complex system, how you can actually sniff out toxic leadership and what the tactics they're using to do exactly what you say, isolate, disconnect, decrease, focus the energy on them, that kind of stuff. We talk about all that. And then at the end, we talk about how to deal with it. Um, both could, you know, from the, the, you know, addressing it to you, you should leave to, you can't leave because of financial, whatever reasons, how do you deal with it then? Like we, we talk about it because it, it's such an, a huge issue. And what I'm finding is it's, you know, we have the story of the culmination of a toxic leadership, but we don't talk enough about the little small behaviors that they do on a day-to-day -day basis that build up into a culture of toxicity. And so we tried to bring light to that too. That it, it may not be that they walk in and scream at you. It may be that they just pass you over for hiring this one time. Or they, you know, they lead the staff meeting and they just tell you, we don't really want your idea. Like those little tiny interactions build up over time to be a toxic culture. And if you can be on the lookout for those, you can stomp those out easier than waiting for them to yell at you and then call HR. So it, we try right. and give a different but I always was smarter. So this is what I did. And I don't know if other people can learn from this. You know, I loved going to the coffee cart at our work and I, and I am a very, very social person. Anywhere I go nowadays, if I just sit at a bar, or sit at a coffee place by myself, I, people gravitate to me, all kinds of people and just start talking to me. That's always been my nature. So I would go to the coffee cart at this one organization and I met so many of the higher ups. I mean, the CEO would hang out there the um, several of the physicians and I was in a department where I had to deal with a lot of the surgeons and anesthesiologists and stuff. So I was always dealing with the higher ups and my coworkers, not so much. They like to stay in their office and hide. So I got invited to all the parties and I also uh, joined their triathlon team and I was on the triathlon team for four years. And of course, who's going to do triathlon people with high achieving goals. So all these high leadership. So I got to be friends with them. And so they had no clue, you know, they would talk to me like I was their buddy, you know, Hey, you're going to come out to wine with us. We're all getting together. Okay. Yeah, sure. And you know, uh, but I never would tell them the problems that I would have until one day I just happened to mention someone and someone's like, you're having problems. What? Let me take care of that right now. And so <laughs> that's another way that you can kind of get out of your box and uh, be a good networker. And I think this is something in a lot, there has been research now that millennials are having trouble with this and connecting yeah. with their patients and connecting with their coworkers and learning how to network and learning how to get around that gatekeeper that yeah. was there, you know, and be creative kind of, right. you know. There's four, I, I, there's four roles I have for the kind of what the, the leader of the future has. And one of them is that network engineer, right? You have to know how to navigate around the, structure and 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 meet those people the way you did because that's where you get your influence as a leader it's not because you have an oak desk on the top floor so we just need to say that that's not leadership that that means you have a role and and the behaviors of leadership are exactly what you just described excellent so any closing thoughts from the two of you this has been an amazing discussion i've had a lot of fun um, no, I think I, I'm just really, really excited to see what, what happens for our profession in the next few years as more of these conversations are happening. And, um, you know, we, we at Trusted are extremely um, grateful that, you know, Dan has joined our team and we feel really, really lucky. And, but I think when we, um, when we have nurse leaders who have a strong voice um, about where, where the profession needs to go, what's happening now, and if we don't make the kind of change that's necessary what will like the potential downfall of, of of our profession um and not reaching its full potential so i think i'm just well, i think it's the downfall this is it's a downfall to tack because yeah. already they have a cyborg going at the bedside which somebody put that article up on linkedin uh yeah. and i'm just like so that's what they think can happen they think that we can be replaced by a robot or a cyborg. This is never going to happen. I'm going to tell you that right now, ever, uh, unless people, I mean, if you've ever been a patient, think of how uh, discerning or how scary it is to go in by yourself and all of a sudden you just see a bunch of robots. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about it the same way here at Trusted. We, we leverage technology to create, like, create that efficiency, but that human, like replacing the human element 
um, will be like a, a very, 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 if ever, long-term thing. And, um, the, you know, the way we think about that here at Trusted is we have a team of nurse advocates who, you know, work with our nurses because Real technology, yeah. yeah, technology can't entirely replace that human element. And, um, you know, that, that same thing, that same concept can be extrapolated for our entire profession. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, it's, it's, we need to, as a profession, move away from the BMW, which Cy Wakeman talks about all the time, the bitching, moaning, and whining, <laughs> and actually start being positive deviants, which, which we are as nurses, which means we thrive in systems that are failing. And we need right. to start taking that skill set and actually using it to disrupt the system and not just get in conferences and talk about it. I, I think that's one thing that frustrates me with nursing. Um, one reason I came over to a startup is that we're doing something. We're not sitting and talking about it. We don't have the runway to do that. We have to move fast and implement, which is really fun. Um, and, and so if, if all the nurses out there that are listening can just be positive deviants and we have, there's a great article I on love it. that positive deviant. But it's like you're thriving in systems that are failing. That is the essence of nursing. That's what we deal with every day in every role we have and no matter what place you are as a nurse. And so just embody that and know that you have something special and let's act on it. Let's get together and act on it because talking about it is great, but we've talked about it for 400 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to do, this is the year of the nurse. And we 2020. Need yep. 2020 <laughs> year of the nurse. We just kicked it off a little bit early. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. The two of you, it's been an awesome discussion and cool. Thanks so much for having yeah, us. Yeah. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Awesome. And so Dan, can you tell people where to find you? If I, I mean, I'll put your information on the show notes. Sure. So um, I'm Dr. Nurse Dan on Twitter, Dr. Nurse Dan. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I uh, post daily on LinkedIn. You can find me there. And um, if you want to stop by Trusted, we're in San Francisco and I'm happy to chat there too. Cool. And Sarah, where people can find you? Um, likewise, um, I am on LinkedIn, Sarah Gray. There's quite a lot of us, but um, <laughs> Sarah Gray, founding clinician at Trusted Health. And um, we are www.trustedhealth.com. We also uh, have quite a presence on across social media. So you can find Trusted Health on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Excellent. Thank you very much. Till next time, nurses and hypochondriacs. I don't know. Keep hypochondriacing. That's what I say. Anyway. <laughs> don't forget to check out our sponsor, Trusted Health. Empowering nurses to discover opportunities that fit their unique experiences, preferences, and goals. Go to www.trustedhealth.com. Click on the link at the end of this podcast. Fill out some basic information about your preferences and qualifications, and you can get started viewing job matches personalized for you in minutes. Join Trusted. They're not just an agency, they're a movement. They're a movement.